Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Who needs Jesus? The focus of Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is that question, who needs Jesus? How does it work to be connected to Jesus in a, in a, in a covenantal relationship? This is the greatest sermon ever preached, better than the one you're going to hear over the next half hour, by far. Who needs Jesus? And with that in mind, Jesus creates a kind of a vice that squeezes his hearers as, as the sermon unfolds, as things get a little rocky and, 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 and painful, as you hear this, and, 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 and he, he, he squeezes the heart a little bit. Any good speaker can see that. You can sense that moment when your congregation or your audience or is, is when you've hit home, when, when that word is hidden to the heart, some kind of look down and shake their head, some kind of look side to side and wonder about whom the speaker is speaking and others kind of shift from side to side. A little anxious that maybe the preacher has looked at the internet cache or the internet history and is speaking directly to them. That's the squeeze I'm talking about. And Jesus squeezes the heart. He squeezes the conscience here in Matthew chapter 5 verses 21 to 37. If you open your bulletin and kind of join me with that, it, it, it's fascinating to think and, and look at a little bit. Because the thing that might squeeze your heart may not squeeze mine. And that which squeezes my heart, you may look and say, well, I don't have an issue with that. And maybe that's because each of us has our, our kind of pet sins. For some people, the pursuit of sexuality or of money or of ego or pursuit of the truth. That may be their pet sin. And, and, and they try to kind of manage that sin and, and try to make sure that it doesn't get too big and out of control, but, but it just kind of stays at a size that the individual can handle. Sin management rather than sin eradication. And maybe your pet sin isn't on this list but guaranteed, if you read through the whole Sermon on the Mount this afternoon before the game, or maybe during the game, probably a better use of your time, to read, to read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and think a little bit about that question, who needs Jesus? And so Jesus begins to speak. And, and, and He's given us the values of the kingdom in Matthew 5, 1 through 12, the Beatitudes, and now he's going after specific stuff in our lives. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 26. No one, no, no, no one in here that, that I know of has really taken a life. No one's called me from the lockup at Orange County Jail and said, Pastor, you got to... And if you've not taken a life, maybe you could shrug this off and say, no big deal. And so Jesus squeezes because there's not a one of us who hasn't exhibited anger at a brother or sister or said something in vengeance and anger. Verse 25 goes against the idea of long ball, of leveraging and stretching out people so uh, when, when, when they run out of steam, we can claim our victory and then we've defeated them and beaten them at that point. Now, I've never killed anybody if 
you could see my thoughts, my interactions, or maybe me when I'm mad. Maybe that's the squeeze that's put on, on me. Murder's not your thing? How about adultery and sexual sin? Perhaps we haven't gone all the way, so to speak, and committed adultery, but we live in a country in a time where sexual sin is incubated and extolled. Every day in America, there's 2.5 billion emails containing pornographic images. That's 25 for every person watching the ballgame this afternoon. There's 68 million plus searches that are related to pornography. That's 25% of all searches on the internet every day. And while adultery may not be at the level of the Corinthian church or the Corinthian culture, Jesus doesn't allow us to kind of shrug our shoulders and say, well, you know, no big deal, I'm good. Jesus says, if I even look at a woman with lust in my eyes, no room for management, no room for negotiation, each of us is squeezed a little bit as we look, as we converse, as we talk, what our eyes see, Jesus, is what our eyes see. Better to have your eyes removed than to spend eternity. And verse 31 and 32, Jesus handles the sin of divorce. At that time, you could just kind of write a note and say, here it is, I'm going to let you go, it's all good. Wife got a little old, things weren't as hot and spicy as I think they should be, so here's the certificate of divorce, I'll see you later, I'll pick up a newer, younger model. Jesus says, no way, it doesn't work like that. He says, if you participate in that sin, and he puts the squeeze on his hearer, the way they speak of it in Matthew 5, 31 and 32 sounds a lot like no-vault divorce, which was first sanctioned by Governor Ronald Reagan in 1969 in the state of California. And the grip of God's law kind of tightens and squeezes, makes us kind of move and be uncomfortable a little bit. Those aren't your sins. Those aren't on your menu. Let's look at one of mine. Genesis 33, I'm sorry, Matthew 5, 33 to 37, for which one of us has not exaggerated his story, not sold ourselves with a sliver of untruth? Which of us has always told the truth and never withheld information to gain an advantage over a person in an interaction? And there's one of the sins of your pastor. It was great. Well, maybe not so much, Pastor Tim. Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Are we convicted enough yet? Have we looked and heard enough of God's law to move from side to side to look and see what our neighbor is participating in or where their head is down? Have we got enough of God's law to kind of figure out that, that who needs Jesus Has God's law squeezed our lives enough to point us away from ourselves and our own righteousness and point us to the righteousness and the goodness and the mercy of God shown in Jesus Christ? God's law is a dangerous thing. It it does just what you are experiencing. 
God's law has a way of people looking at it and saying, you know what, I've got this, I've done this, I've not murdered, I've not divorced, I tell the truth, I'm perfect, I've, I got it all figured out. As the young ruler said to Jesus, all this I have done, I got it made in the shade. I'm perfect, better than all y'all, so I don't maybe need Jesus like everybody else. I don't feel the squeeze. Jesus can be a nice moral teacher, or what I like is when people come out of church and they say, Pastor, that sermon would have been beautiful for them. Okay, who needs Jesus? And as the law sometimes puffs up those who try to negotiate and manage their own sin, the law also crushes and breaks. As we look into the law of God this morning in this text, our conscience is poked. We know and we truly do because Christians aren't ignorant of their sin. And like salt on a wound, the law stings and leads us away from our own sin management to Jesus, the Christ, the Savior of the world. Jesus preaching on that Sermon on the Mount, the bigger and better Moses, the Moses who would eventually die for his people, the Moses who could keep the law, that's our Jesus, Christ, the Savior of the world, the God of mercy and not judgment, mercy. Recently, I've been going through the Scriptures in my own devotional life, and I've thought less about grace and more about mercy Grace kind of, I, I had a friend say, you know, you Lutherans sometimes become grace potatoes. And I go, well, what's a grace potato? I said, well, it's kind of like a couch potato, it, it, except you just kind of live on grace and every answer to every question is grace. And what do you do with God? Well, that's grace. And every, everything kind of reduces down to grace so that God's law doesn't ever sting anymore. The squeeze is taken off because if it's God's job to forgive and God's job to show grace, well, then I'll just sin. I'll do my job and God does his. He forgives. That's not where Jesus is going in the Sermon on the Mount. So as I've worked through the Old Testament, getting to the end of Exodus, I'm reminded that God is primarily marked by showing mercy. In Exodus chapter 20, in the meaning of the second commandment, the Lord comes to Moses and he starts to articulate a little bit more about the name of the Lord and how the name of the Lord is to be kept and revered among the people of God. And he writes these words. I have done, he says, that God is primarily known by showing mercy to thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Mercy. Mercy is when you have the right to claim damages, but you let them go. Mercy is when you have somebody teed up, and you can smoke them with a comment, or you can smoke them with a, a, a behavior. You could just let them have it. They got it coming. And mercy is saying, as the Lord has not stuck it to me, I will not stick it to you. I will relent. I have the right, but I'm letting up. And that mercy is the essence, the heart of covenantal Christianity, of, of God making a promise in love that He will show mercy to us. And while sin lasts for two or three generations, mercy lasts for thousands. 
And maybe here from Matthew chapter 5 in these verses, it is God is calling us in Christ to look at our brothers and sisters in mercy and not anger. We look at one another not with lust but with appreciation and love. We work mercifully in our marriage raising our children. All of these pieces of life are colored with mercy, not judgment. And mercy is the heart of God lived out in our relationships every moment of every day. Mercy for each other, that's what made Christianity great. That's why people want to be a part of the Christian faith and of Christian community. Because what we do and how we do it is bathed in mercy instead of judgment. You see, you don't have to somehow get your life all together and then you can join the church. Rather, the church is the collection of people who need Jesus. Some, the arrogant, who say, well, I need Jesus, but not as much as this guy. And Jesus is there when that person breaks and their life pops and they struggle because they can't measure up as that law of God pursues that arrogance. That person sees their need for mercy and there is Jesus in the broken narrow space for the arrogant, the pharisaical, and the prideful. There is Jesus with mercy to love and forgive and include even those who have been judgmental and angry towards others. That's what mercy is all about. Who needs Jesus? Well, the arrogant need Jesus and the broken. We who know and bear the weight of our own sin, who have consciences that lead us to turn to the Lord in repentance. We need Jesus. Those who have thought impure thoughts, those who have told little lies and big lies, those who have said things and offered things in anger, we need Jesus. And so as He squeezes our hearts and our consciences this morning, He does so not out of a capricious attitude just to see how we'll respond but He squeezes our hearts to lead us to His mercy to find peace in Him and a mercy that is rooted in sacrifice and forgiveness of our sins to find out that His touch on our hearts is light and soft and loving and gentle. And rather than holding on to our sins and leveraging them against us, He forgives our sins and He walks with us in our lives through His mercy. He guides us in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. He is merciful to us. He's merciful and provides the greatest need we have, that being the need of peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For in Jesus and through Jesus, we receive faith, we receive mercies that are new every morning. And those mercies last far beyond sin and its effects. The brokenness of sin will one day give way to the doors of heaven opening wide. And brokenness and anger and dishonesty and all of those things will be left outside because of God's mercy and His kindness shown to you and me. Mercies.
mercies that are shown every morning. I love that in Lamentations 3. His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So who needs Jesus? I need Jesus. Big time. More than I'll ever let you know, I need Jesus. And you need Jesus more than I'll ever know. And what we need of Jesus is His mercy. And maybe a question else is, who has Jesus? Brixley has Jesus. She has Jesus because Jesus has come to her in the washing of her baptism. And you, you have Jesus because His mercies are new in His Word and in His Spirit speaking to your hearts right now. Who needs Jesus? Oh, we all need Jesus. And who has Jesus? You. You have Jesus. And His mercy guides your life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.